Good morning again, everybody. Glad that you're here as we continue our series with Keeping in Step in the Spirit. Um, you know, the deeper that I go into some of these topics and passages, um, the greater need that I see for myself and I think all of us to grow, especially when it comes to the areas of soul care, sin, dealing with that in our lives, dealing with wounds, uh, so that we can live lives that are healthy, physically, spiritually, emotionally, when we are walking with the Lord. Um, and, you know, I don't want to project in this in any way, but, you know, if you've done any of the assessments as we've been going through this series in your own life, you've probably realized you're pretty screwed up when it comes to living with the Spirit and whether or not you are doing that well. You know, and in each week, we come to church with the hopes of, you know, finding some strength, finding some, a good word of encouragement. Um, and, you know, many times we just hear the solution is Jesus. He's the, the simple fix, which he is. But many times when we just hear that, it can seem like a far-off name, a distant concept, a term or a phrase that needs to be unpacked, a platitude that people use when they don't know what else to say or they don't have the time to dive deeper with you through the different crises that you're going in your life. You know, what does that even mean? You just need Jesus. I mean, I think that we can understand that it's true, but how does it apply to our life when life is just crashing down around us and we need some tangible answers? You know, hearing you just need Jesus doesn't always give you the direction that you need. So how do we unpack that? You know, for me, the way that I understand is to dive deeper. You know, in terms of my spiritual life, if all I am getting of Jesus in that relationship is what I do on Sunday mornings, that I'm still pretty thirsty. You know, currently in my life, the way that my week works, um, I am in the Word preparing for a message each week. Currently, I'm walking through Galatians with the CC kids. I'm walking through Ecclesiastes with my kids. I'm walking through Romans for the next part of the series. Um, I'm walking through Ezekiel in a Bible study on top of a couple of other books that I'm reading. And I'm still hungry. I'm still not filled or I'm still going through different issues. And I don't say that to brag. I say that simply to say, if you're only counting on Sundays to fill you up, then you're not going to be having the relationship that Jesus desires for you to have. You're not going to gain the understanding of you just need Jesus from an hour on Sunday based on the rest of the time that you have during the week. And, you know, we go through these different seasons in life where we're strong. We're on fire for the Lord. We're dedicated to him. We're passionate in our understanding, in our study, and we're diligent with that. And then we have other seasons where we're kind of stagnated. You know, I think as we're able to picture and notice those differences in our life, we can address some of the patterns, some of the pitfalls that maybe we fall into and address those patterns. You know, patterns are interesting to study in life. I, I got to say, since 
I've moved to Iowa from Ohio, I've seen some different patterns, some different things uh, in nature between the two states. Uh, first off, Ohio gets more rain than Iowa does. And, and I have to say, this has been the first time I've experienced fall in Iowa, where you have a consistent time of 70-degree weather. In Iowa, it's either hot or it's cold. And it's been nice to actually experience fall for a season. I have to say that. Uh, B, Iowa has more cows than people. I think you can tell just by the smell of that. And choo-choo train. Iowa has flies that bite. Ohio does not. And I can remember the first year being here, I was so mad at the flies. I got all of the kids fly swatters, and we would have smashing parties. And it was fun. And you found unique ways to kill flies. You know, you always appreciated when you got two in one swing or you hit them out of the air, you threw something at a fly. It was fun. But then you would get disappointed when you, you had a good shot and you missed. It's so frustrating to miss that shot. But if you had enough patience, if you're lucky, the fly would circle back and land and you'd get another chance. You know, animals, insects, they can be dumb in that way, right? You know, most of the time, animals have this instinct to warn them from danger. But sometimes that's trumped by their desire for curiosity or food. It's good being on top of the food chain. It's good being the best, isn't it? But I think in some areas, we resemble flies a lot more than we'd like to admit where we like to circle back and put ourselves in danger with the different patterns that we have, put ourselves in danger of being smashed, whether it's our desires for the flesh or the curiosities that we have. And that's, too, that's something also that we need to be having an awareness about in our lives, as well as have a good plan to deal with these traps and pitfalls that surround us, these patterns that we can exhibit in our life. Today, we're going to be continuing our look in Galatians 5. And I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 26. Beginning in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, as we go to your word today, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to the dangers and the pitfalls that we might exhibit. Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you. Lord, we confess that there might be strongholds in our lives right now that we have not dealt with. And I pray through understanding your word today that we can lay them at your feet, that we can receive forgiveness and repent. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so I kind of read a little bit of what we talked about last week there in verses 13 through 15, and um, we're going to continue this message even next week as I talk more about the fruit of the Spirit, as I've gotten a little bit deeper into the messages, they just continue to get longer and longer, and I need to start breaking some of these things up, so we will not cover the entire section, but it's good to hear the entire section so that we know what we're talking about. And you know, in my last message uh, that we talked about, we briefly, I briefly addressed legalism as an extreme that Paul was dealing with in the early church, and I talked about the law and the dangers of legalism. Now, I thought that I was kind of on a a touchy subject because, I mean, I don't really want to upset anybody. It's not always fun hearing, hey, you might be a legalist. But I apologize. I'm working on my bluntness. I'm working on my boldness. And I want to state clearly that we all have the opportunities to be legalists in our lives. I've heard legalist comments and conversations going on even within this body. We have that tendency, and we need to be aware of it. We need to stop with the attitude of thinking it's always the other person that's at fault. We're thinking that we're fine in how we're living. If you still have your Bibles open, look down in chapter 6, verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's always a fun verse to kind of cherry pick. But again, it brings that humility into our lives. You know, the American church has this arrogance, this ignorance about it that says, I am right. And it doesn't matter what church you're in. Every church thinks that they're right, and the other church across the street is wrong, and they don't preach the gospel. This is the attitude that you hear from many pulpits from many conversations of church people. Now, in our walks, we definitely make progress. We definitely grow, but I would venture to say that none of us are perfect yet. And what legalism does is it controls or it normalizes certain ways of living, our ways of living. And we need to stop comparing ourselves to others um, to think that we're okay 
in order to continue to live in the various forms of sin or the patterns that we do. And instead, we need to look to Christ and be thankful for the grace that we have received. Legalism quenches the spirit in a very rigid way. The worst comment that I have ever made to someone was a legalistic comment. It had some truth in it, but it turned this person away from God and from the church. It's something that I deeply regret. I wasn't wise enough at the age, because I was in college, I wasn't wise enough then to know the impact that I had. And it was very damaging. Now on the other side of legalism, on the other side of this coin within this letter, Paul is addressing um, those who thought that they had too much license in their life, meaning too much freedom to continue to live in the flesh as they were before. These people thought that they were free to do whatever they want uh, because Jesus died for my sins. I can keep doing these things in the flesh. And it was equally as destructive to their faith and to their witness, just as legalism was. And as I mentioned last time, both camps fought with each other. And Paul warns them, you know, if you're going to bite each other, be careful you don't devour one another. You're going to be consumed by each other. Now, just like in legalism, Paul had addressed one form of it. He addressed circumcision. That was the issue that he was bringing up. It doesn't mean it was the only legalistic thing that the church was facing, but that was his focus. With license or too much freedom, Paul is addressing how they are using their freedom to gratify their desires in the flesh. This is the belief, as I said, Jesus died for my sins anyway, so I can just go out and do whatever I want. He's faithful to forgive me. It's a heart or an attitude that is unrepentant. It doesn't take into consideration the cost of the cross and what was paid for. Um, you know, you go back through and you read the Bible or you read the Gospels and you'll see how belief and repentance are tied together. Jesus says on several occasions, repent or perish. Repentance is a big thing in our faith. And license meaning I can do what I want, abuses and misuses the grace that is offered by God. It doesn't take into consideration what Jesus went through for our sins. And this license can be seen in our walks, in our daily lives. One example that I could give would be, um, as Revelation talks about lukewarmness, you know, where I don't really care one way or the other for Jesus. It's not improving that relationship. I'm just going to continue to do what I want. Again, displaying this unrepentant heart. Now, Paul addresses this in a couple of ways. He addresses what he means by the flesh, and he gives them the alternative, the positive direction that they need to be living in. He explains what the guiding by the, of the Holy Spirit means so that the readers and the believers would know how to live a life to glorify God. You know, it, it's more than just saying you need Jesus. Paul is walking them through very literally what they need to do. Um, you know, as he walks them through this a little bit, let's look at verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. So he begins by setting up this contrast to legalism and license as he sets it off with, but I say. 
And then he says, walk. Now, in other areas of Scripture, Paul says, run the race that is set before you. But in many of the Scriptures that we've been studying, it's always this term about walking, about keeping in step with the Spirit. And, and, you know, as it's simply walking, we understand that walking is slow. It's not fancy. It's not spectacular. But it means progress. Walking is the primary mode of transportation for the people in this age. And anyone who kept walking would get over the ground that they were covering. They would get to their destination. Similar to the the mantra that we hear in Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. You know, if you were walking, it meant you were going somewhere. You were not stagnated. You were not staying stationary. We often understand the Christian life as a journey with many twists and turns, hills and valleys, where it's a marathon, not a sprint. Now, you can sprint during places of your journey, Just as well, there could be times where you are stationary, where you are tripping, where you are stumbling. But but Paul calls the readers to walk by the Holy Spirit, meaning that we are to be dependent on him, surrendering, submitting to him, trusting that he is the one that is going to guide us. We are surrendering to his leading. This is the way that they are to live the life, and it is contrary to the life that fulfills the way of the flesh. As it continues in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I take this as a promise. These are two polar opposites. You know, like how Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. These are two things that are opposed to each other. And verse 17 lays out that opposition. Did you get it? Gail, did you get it? Nice. Killing them flies. I like it. Um, Verse 17 lays out this opposition where both things, the flesh and the spirit, are opposed to each other. Both will vie for your compliance. And you see that phrase there in verse 17, doing the things you want to do. Which is it? Are the things that you want to do in the spirit or in the flesh? Contemplate that. Based on this verse, the possibility is both. Now, I know that we love to say that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. But there needs to be an asterisk next to that. We need to give some context or definition of what we mean when we say that phrase. Because when we just believe it, when we just say that as believers, we are speaking from a place of defeat. It's saying, I don't have a new heart Jesus has not had an effect on me because I am still wicked. I'm not saying that there's not still a sin nature that we deal with. But rather, as believers, we need to be speaking from a place of victory more often. One that says that I have a heart that is led by the Spirit because He dwells in me. Is that the truth? 
Does the Holy Spirit reside in us? Now, maybe we don't see the victories and we don't rejoice in them too much. Maybe we get hung up on these pitfalls, these traps, the times that we trip and stumble, and we only dwell and think about those. What would the enemy want us to be dwelling on and thinking about? Maybe we're instead led by fear, anxiety, worthlessness, and the flesh. I would say as Christians, as a church, especially in America, we live powerless lives. Lives that do not understand the Spirit. Maybe part of that reason is because we don't believe in the power of the Spirit. Or maybe just a few things from the Spirit. And we hold on to these old ways of thinking and we're not living in the victory that has been won. We're not living in the grace that we are called to live by. But within this passage, in verse 17, depending on your answer of the things that you want to do, the other thing is going to be opposed to what you want to do. So say, I want to partake in the flesh. The Spirit is going to convict you against that. Say, I want to respond to somebody with patience and love. The flesh is going to tempt you to respond in anger and vitriol. None of us are immune to this struggle, to this battle. It is kind of a constant thing. But the deeper dependence that we have on one side or the other usually will drown out the other. So choose the better side. Back to Deuteronomy 30, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life. There is, this is not something that we're going to outgrow in terms of our spiritual struggle. We can get better at it, we can have more victories for sure, but there's not a degree, there's not this level of enlightenment that you can attain to where this would just go away. If you are a believer, you know that it's going to be there because we have an enemy that is against us. And he wants nothing better than to devour us, to separate us from the Father, to keep us ineffective, to keep us in fear and in those same ruts. If we go around saying all of the time, woe is me, I am wicked, I am a sinner, and you continue to repeat that to yourself a hundred times a day, what do you begin to believe? How do you then live your life? Do you live it in victory? Do you understand the grace that has been won for you? And again, it's not saying that we don't struggle with the sin nature, because we do. But where is our heart and mind being renewed? If you have been given a heart, a new heart, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you are struggling with sin, it means you are not walking in the Spirit. Instead, you are choosing flesh. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit... Again, the if there has that same force of since. Since you are led by the Spirit, 
And we have to understand that even though it has that force of sense, it is not the Spirit forcing us. He is leading us. He is guiding us. We have to submit and surrender. You know, you look at the movement of the verbs within this bigger section. You have walk in 16. You have led passive voice here in verse 18. And in verse 25, you have uh, keeping in step with or live by the Spirit. All of these um, verbs, again, talk about this journey. The Holy Spirit leads us to do the will of God. He teaches us all truth, as we learned in John chapter 14, helping us to understand all that is within the Bible. Paul tells us, um, as well in Philippians, that it is God who works in us, and this is done through the Spirit. He says in Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Continues in verse 18. I don't remember if I have a break. I don't. Okay. He continues in verse 18. But since you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, under the context of what we're reading, you would maybe assume that Paul would say, but you are not under the flesh. But again, larger context of this chapter, he is still dealing with the legalists and the extremes on both sides, and he calls it back to how you are not under the law. Um, that's the big point that he is trying to get across in this chapter, is that Christians cannot overcome the flesh by being under the law. It has to be done by the Spirit. You had the Judaizers who would go and tell the people that they needed to come under the law in order to de defeat flesh in their life. This would be your lists of do's and don'ts and your try harder type of mentality. Mentality that many of us still struggle with. How's that working out for us? I just got to do it better. I got to do it harder. I got to focus more. Whereas Paul is telling the people to submit to the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, allowing oneself to be led by God, passive voice, obeying what he tells us to do. Now verses 19 through 21 give us a list of the works of the flesh. And the important thing, I think, is at the end of that, where Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That term do, uh, those who make a practice of doing such things. It's a very definitive statement. It's a warning. I meant to change the viewpoints of those in the church that were on that extreme of license. You know, I think that as we look at this warning, it can strike some fear. I mean, I don't know about you, but the moment I break one of these things that are listed here, I get into that cycle of fear of, oh no, now I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I better do these a little bit better so that I can inherit the kingdom of God again. And you get right back into that works mentality, that legalistic mindset. Now, again, Paul is talking to both extremes on this side and that there's a balance that we have to find. 
where we rest in him. Because just pursuing the right thing or the right course of action can also become a work, the right way to live. But what we need is rest. Rest in the grace that has been won for you. Just for a moment, close your eyes and rest. Know that as a believer, you are his. You are beloved. You are worthy. You are adopted as sons and daughters of Christ. Rest in the grace. Because when we get in the way with legalism or license, we screw things up. We misapply and we misunderstand grace. And it impacts how we live. It impacts our witness. Now, looking to the works of the flesh, people have reconciled this verse in a lot of different ways over the years. Um, and other passages that are very similar to it as well. You know, in, in the past, people would often say that Paul is only talking about unbelievers or that genuine believers would not practice these sins. Well, Paul is obviously putting this warning here for a very specific reason, and it is addressed to those in the church. Another option is that people who um, practice these vices, they would have less of a reward. I kind of think it, that it's a combination of both of these understandings. Um, you know, Paul is describing the acts of the flesh. And the acts of the flesh gives us this natural understanding. It points to unbelievers because unbelievers would be doing these types of things. And then he contrasts that a little bit later to the believers who would or should be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. So, you know, we can see how the practice of these acts describes an unbeliever. But, you know, Scripture does not teach that a believer is perfect in their actions. Instead, what I find is a constant warning from Paul and the other New Testament writers, warning the church against the old ways, against the old self, to not continue to do these types of things, to not live in the flesh, showing that it is a possibility for them to be carnal in how they live. Romans 13. Can you change that for me, Paul? Romans 13, verses 11 through 14 says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Again, speaking to believers to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed the night is far gone the day is at hand so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and in drunkenness not in sexual immorality and sensuality not in quarreling and jealousy but Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
You know, in every church that Paul writes to, it seems that he is addressing this type of behavior within the body, where the believers are still gratifying their desires in the flesh. It's an attitude of license that says, I can still do whatever I want. It says, Jesus is not enough. I want to go do what I want to do to satisfy my carnal nature. Part of this attitude and behavior, I think, um, especially in the American church, can be seen because there's been a lack of discipleship. There's been a lack of mentoring. There's been a lack of accountability. Where we go it alone in our walks. We go it alone in our daily lives. We're independent. And the last time I did it, I wasn't struck by lightning. So I guess it's okay, I can do it again. Again, it's living with an unrepentant heart. But we tend to keep things to ourselves. And we don't let anyone in because if we did, if they knew, then maybe they wouldn't think I'm a Christian. The enemy is crafty. And he is good at what he does. He isolates us. He keeps us tempted by the flesh so that we cannot be keeping in step with the spirit. He continues to push us down in these defeated mentalities, and it's vicious. We walk around defeated rather than redeemed. We're walking around powerless and in unbelief. I mean, did you catch what Lori said last week? She said she has to be careful what she says about the demonic in America because of unbelief. Everybody in Africa believes in the demonic because they see it. What a sad statement about the faith of the American church. Because the enemy, the demonic, he has us asleep. He has us content with the way that we live, thinking that we're okay. Again, powerless lives. Not living for Christ, not walking with the Spirit, not keeping in step with the Spirit. Instead, we're on our devices all the time. We're entertaining ourselves. We're escaping from the hard stuff. Instead of turning to Christ, submitting to His leading, we are too content with where we are at. License is about gratifying desires. And we look at this list here in Galatians. As you read over it, I think maybe you can see some of those that perhaps you gratify yourself with. Maybe you stumble in repeatedly. I mean, I would love to say that no one willingly goes out and does these things with that extreme view of license. But I know the flesh. I know the enemy. I know myself. And Paul, he is warning the most against this type of attitude in terms of license. One that just says it's okay. Jesus will forgive me anyway. The saying goes, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. I hate that saying. I hate it when Christians use it. I had a family member that used it. It's such a selfish outlook. And you can say, you can look at this view of license to the extreme, and you can think, well, who would do that? 
Well, maybe it's a part of our culture. Maybe it's a part of how you were raised. Again, going back to what Lori shared last week in terms of how husbands are treating their wives or how sorcery is a part of the church. Those are two areas of license that the, the church in Guinea takes. A step down from that type of extreme would be one that says, I struggle with it, but there's nothing I can do about it. It's just the way that I am. I disagree. If you are a believer, conditional or matter of fact, since you are a believer, you are made into a new creation. You've been given a new heart. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Get over yourself and the excuses that you use. Walk with the Spirit. Doesn't mean it's not difficult to break habits that have been built up in your life for years. It means you're right. You cannot overcome it if it's you in your own power. But as a believer, you are not in your own power. You have the Holy Spirit living with you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within us. And we're content. We need forgiveness. You can stumble. You can trip periodically in your life. It doesn't mean that it's okay. It doesn't mean that it gives you license to just say whoopsie doodle and move on. Walking with the Spirit means that when you stumble, when you trip, you confess that sin. You're convicted by the Holy Spirit. You confess that sin. You seek that forgiveness and you repent. You turn from it and you turn towards Christ. And you continue to hopefully walk with him. Where we are in constant prayer and awareness of the shortcomings or the pitfalls around us. Lord, I struggle with anger. Help me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Help me to respond in patience and love. And you pray that prayer a hundred times a day. You pray it twice as hard when those people get around you that just get underneath your skin. Lord, I struggle with pornography and lust. Give me eyes to see the opposite sex with your glory. Give me a way out of the temptations when they happen. Give me the strength or the courage to reach out and get the help that I need. Lord, I struggle with jealousy and envy. Help me to not browse social media, to be thinking about what everybody else has and wanting to be like others. Instead, Lord, show me who I am, who you created me to be so that I can be that person with your gifts, your strengths, and impacting those that are around me. We read the word of God and we find hope and we find strength within the passages. With, when you find passages that deal with the areas that you are struggling in, you claim those promises and verses. And that term, claiming, it might be some sort of a trigger word for us because of, again, abuses or misapplications with other areas in the church. 
But if you find a promise in the Bible that applies to your situation, claim it. Lord, you say you will not leave me or forsake me. I do not feel you right now. I don't know where you are in my life, but this is what your word says, and I am believing it until I am through this temptation, until I am through this time. And the enemy is not distracting me, not attacking me anymore. I'm going to claim, lay claim to this word. Claiming is simply standing on the promises of God, a song that we sing. So, I mean, semantics could be involved if claiming triggers you. Stand on the promises of God. Thankfully, God does not promise things like gold dust coming from the sky. So we can test that claim. We can test those spirits from the scriptures. And of course, a common objection is, well, Jesus says you can ask anything in my name. The word does say that. But James also says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly, because we're not asking according to the will of God. Again, I find in a lot of our theologies, we get scared of something because of how it's been abused or misused in the past. And then we distance ourselves so far that we go to the other extreme in these issues. The Reformation did this with the Catholic Church. They threw out a lot of good things so that they can distance themselves of anything remotely Catholic. Again, Paul is talking about a balance to where in balance we're finding that place of rest where we're resting in the grace of God. We need to redeem some of these ideas, some of these terms that are being abused by false teachers by those that are in the church and we need to use them properly because if we cannot stand on the word of God, if we cannot claim the promises that are in scripture, then we are truly lost in this battle that we have with the flesh. The word of God is our hope. It is our strength. But we need to be able to stand firmly on it. Paul lists out the sexual sins of immorality, impurity, sensuality the religious sins of idolatry and sorcery, the societal sins of enmity, which is hatred or quarrels, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envies, the intemperate sins of drunkenness and orgies, carousing, so parties with excessive eating and drinking, along with other sins. Now we can look at this list and we can see some weightiness within that. Perhaps some in our minds are worse than others. Some definitely have some more damaging effects to relationships that we have, sure. But I would warn us not to think too long and hard on which of these are the better ones to have. They're all works of the flesh, they're all sins, and Paul warns us about all of these. Now he says in contrast to the works of the flesh in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. He contrasts against them as he, as he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And again, I'll, I'll dive a little bit deeper into this type of thing next week when I talk about the fruit of the Spirit and contrasting them. 
But he lists these things out as fruit. Notice this is going to be compared to the flesh being works. He continues to contrast works with trusting. Works lead us to the extremes. Trusting leads us to rest. Paul is setting up this understanding for the believers that we need to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, in order to not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh and the Spirit are opposed to each other, and the struggle is real in our lives, where every moment of every day is an opportunity for us to be working in the flesh or to be trusting in the Spirit, submitting to Him. We need to be walking with Him a little bit more closely each day. And as we get caught in these traps or as we trip and stumble from time to time in the flesh, we need to come alongside of each other and do a little bit better in that job. I want to close this morning with um, just reading the first two verses of chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, so you who are walking with the Spirit already, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Again, showing that possibility that we need to be aware of the different patterns. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we hear some hard things today, Lord, I pray that you would wake us up. The enemy is crafty, and he has been at work in the American church for years. where we are seeking feelings and emotions versus the Spirit. Lord, we are seeking forms of escape and entertainment instead of restoration in you. Lord, as your word says, the Spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another. And I pray as believers that we can spend some time with you this week. Fully understanding where we are walking. And Lord, if we are not walking with you, bring us to our knees in repentance. Help us to turn to you so that we may walk with your spirit so as to not gratify the desires of the flesh. Lord, we need this for our own health, the health of our church, our community, and our nation. Lord, we need this because we are your ambassadors. And if we are not walking with you, what is the witness that we are giving. 
Lord, help us to rest this week in the knowledge of our love, of the love of our Savior, so that we may glorify your name above all the other things in this world. In your name we pray, amen.